0: Hello, everybody. This is TA and this is the Recourse Podcast. Did you know that May is National Foster Care Month? It's an initiative by the Children's Bureau and really they're focusing on acknowledging foster parents, family members, volunteers, members, policymakers, child welfare professionals, and any other member in the community who help children and youth in the foster care system. So, to do my part, I am so excited to have spent an episode talking with my cousin-in-law, cousin, cousin cousin-in-law. She has been a huge part of the foster care system in her hometown of Minot, North Dakota. And so I'm excited for you to be able to meet Jolene and hear her family's story. So let's jump in right away. So... um... Um, I have begun this tradition of always asking, How do we know each other? Which seems a little silly because of our relationship, but right. how do we know each other? <laughs> you married my cousin Matt. I did. Yes. I do yes. remember the first time we met was out on your um on grandma's farm. It was like a cousins' reunion, and even Dan was there and Justin and Tyler were very little at the time. Yeah, like, yeah, that was a fun like. Hi, this is everybody, and let's go.
1: <laughs> Welcome to the family.
0: Yes, but everybody little, was very easy, hopefully a lot of love and yeah. It was. Everybody was very lovely, and that was just. I mean, that's just how your family is. Very like, just let's go and and yep. feed and eat and do all the stuff. So lots of food, lots. Yeah, of food. which is. I mean, I'm not gonna complain. I'm in. Right, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> As long as I don't have to cook it, I'm fine. I know that we are getting to that age where we're the ones cooking more, aren't we? I know. That's okay. That's okay. It's still worth it because we get all the kids. Now we've got all the grandkids and more cousins. And yeah. So I'm so excited that you were willing to come and chat with me today because we had some very similar life path in the sense that um, we have opened our homes in a way that not everybody does. You have done it in a much more unique way than I have. And so I'm so excited that you're willing to come and chat with us about foster care and how that has affected and how that has changed your family. So let's start with, tell me, how did that even kind of seep into your thought process of maybe this is something you guys would look at doing?
1: Right. Um, My husband, Chad, was... In the system, as far as he was in a group home for a while as a teenager. And he appreciated those mentors that came alongside him and helped him really get on a better path for his life.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: he's always kind of wanted to give back to the community, get back to those kinds of kids that he was. Yeah. And I am a teacher. I saw children that we're in the foster care system in the schools, I'm like, I could totally take care of that child. I would love to be able to care for that child. And I've always had a heart for adoption ever since I was little. I didn't think we would adopt through foster care, but we weren't opposed to it. You know if it happened, it happened, but that wasn't our, our goal, um, and so, yeah, we both had the desire. Our, unfortunately, our timing was off for many, many years. Like, I wanted to do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. And then he wanted to do it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so it took us a while to both be on the same page at the same time. And um, yeah, I'm glad it finally worked out. <laughs>
0: right. Well, and you have two daughters that are mm-hmm. biological. So you had them first. How old were they when you started looking into becoming foster parents?
1: I believe they were six and eight. I'm really bad with math. We started in 2008. My daughter's 20. So whatever. But yeah, they're about six and eight years old. And really, you know, when they get to that early elementary, they kind of get easy. I don't, I don't know. Like they, you know, dress themselves, shower themselves. They can make themselves a bowl of cereal, a sandwich. Like they don't need you watching them 24 seven and And when the girls got to the age, I'm like, okay, life is pretty easy right now. Like, I think we can handle some more kids. And I did not want to have any more of my own. So like, this
0: is a great, great path. Right. And you went, um, I know a lot of people look into foster care or adoption due to the inability to have babies or with some complications with maybe their body through pregnancy. So that was not the path that you guys took. It was, this was just the other, other pieces of your life that it kind of, you are leaning in on. Yes.
1: And honestly, I don't encourage people to go into foster care with the hopes of adoption. Um, We had over 60 children come in and out of our home over the 11 years that we were foster parents. Only three were placed for adoption. So, I mean, adoption does happen through foster care. It's never the goal. Reunification is always the goal. So you have to go into it knowing all right, we're going to take care of these kids. The goal is to reunify. If they happen to terminate parental rights, then we'll adopt. But uh, it gets kind of complicated when you go into it with, I want to adopt all of these children.
0: Yeah. I've heard that, that many people have had like their hearts broken. Cause even having that, I know the goal is reunification. So I'm not going in with that, but to sometimes experience the extreme trauma that these kids are in and still have to, to be able to, um, hand that child back over. So heartbreakingly hard at times, like I've heard stories of families that also like we weren't going to adopt and then they really were pushed to adopt because this child didn't have any other options and then it still fell through. And so that heartbreak that it's never a guarantee the same way it is if a child is going through the adoption system where it's a guarantee because they've already gone through that initial steps. Right. Right. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it is heartbreaking every time a child Mm -hmm. goes back. Um, even if it's back to a healthy home, I mean, you know, we say healthy, but kids Mm -hmm. don't get removed from healthy families. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are families that do become healthy, do jump through all the hoops, um, you know, quit drinking, quit doing drugs, get the toxic people out of their life, and they're ready to have their children back and raise them. Mm-hmm.
0: And in those situations, it's it's very heartbreaking <laughs> to send kids back. Yeah, one yeah. I can imagine the upheaval for a child. That's hard for them to process and to justify all those things. Like we said earlier, um, before we um, started started this episode, the for a child to be able to process some of those things, it's hard. Like they just don't have that introspection at that time. So that's, that's gotta be quite traumatic for them regardless. What type of training are you required to do? Or what did you do to prep you, your family, your husband to be ready to do that?
1: Yep. Well, the first step is to contact either the County or some agency uh, within your area to um, get the paperwork. They do background checks fingerprints uh there's in north dakota it's called pride training It's mm. a two-weekend event now with covid everything's online so i'm not really sure how it works but um i heard it's all online now and so you have to do all that training um once all the paperwork everything is done then they give you your license and you wait for the call
0: yeah did, did a- you feel prepared after going through that like did you feel like adequately prepared Um, I think we felt we were prepared, but you don't really know
1: until you don't know. (laughs) You know, you're like, all right, we got this. We're going to change lives. Like, this is going to be amazing. And (laughs) we know what we're doing. And then you get a kid and we're like, we have no idea what we're doing. Um, Like, just feel very ill prepared, but kind of learn and, um... Unfortunately, you know, you make mistakes, you have regrets, but I think that's in all aspects of our life. You know, we're always growing and learning and that's painful. Yeah. You know, yeah. Look, looking back, I wish, I wish I would have done better with the teens that came into our home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had it the hardest. They're usually in the the abusive homes longer, therefore they have more trauma, or they've been in the system for a long time and they've been passed from home to home to home to home. Every time a child is moved to a new home, it's a new trauma, and uh, makes them not trust the next foster parents, which sometimes leads to more behavior problems, which leads to another home, and like, oh. so we did our best to. Um, tough it out and not have a child leave our home into another foster home. Uh, Only once did we have to let two little girls go. It just was, um, it was just too hard on our other girls, our our daughters and our marriage, honestly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Marriage, your marriage suffers a little bit when you're spending so much time and energy on taking care of a child that has high needs even when Chad was all for this, you know, we were age and it's still hard. But looking back, I wish with the teenagers I would have treated them like a typical teenager. Like teenagers get into trouble. Teenage their parents. Teen I mean I'm generalizing, you know I mean So teenagers want to be with their friends all the time. And a lot of times when teens come into foster care, the county takes their phones, iPads, all of their social media is gone because of just lots of reasons. Um, So here they come into a brand new home. They don't know us. They don't know our rules. They don't have any connection with their family, with their friends, nothing. Everything is, they have no control over anything. And so, of course, they're going to, like, not <laughs> enjoy it. And um, we try to make it as normal as, po- as possible. In fact, there's, there's even a normalcy act now, thank goodness, that says as foster parents, we can let our foster children be involved in whatever a typical child would be involved with. Like before, they couldn't jump on trampolines. They couldn't go on four-wheeler rides. They couldn't do sleepovers. They, I mean, it was ridiculous. So thankfully, there's a normalcy act out there now. And so these kids can be more typically normal. Um, that being said, they are controlled by the state. Whatever yeah. the social says, as foster parents, we have to follow and the kids have to follow, you know. Um, if if my ch- I'm saying if if one of my daughters smokes marijuana one night and gets caught, like we're gonna give them some consequences. If a teen foster um kid smokes marijuana, we have to tell the social worker. The social worker comes in, takes them out of our home, puts them into a treatment center. I'm like, what? what is going on? Like, yeah. you're just being a typical teen. Like, yeah. oh, it, it was so hard. So looking back, I wish I would have done better in those situations. Um,
0: but like I said, you
1: don't know until you are put in that situation.
0: So my understanding of the foster system too, so you said after you're done with your training, it you was like waiting for the call. That you just one day will get a phone call like, "Hey, we need," and within two hours, all of a sudden you have, <laughs> yes, yeah, and like, um,
1: yeah, they they usually give you uh, a couple hours, hopefully, <laughs> so you have time to go to the store, you know, get diapers if you need, or formula, or whatever, or or a few outfits and and what you think is that child size. You know, you haven't met him yet, so there are four. They're four years old. Well, I don't know. So buy some 3T, 4T, 5T, um, just so they can have some pajamas and all that kind of stuff. We always have a container of toothbrushes, toothpaste, brushes, um, those kind of necessities ready to go because you just don't know what they're going to come with. And then either you go pick up the child or the social worker will drop them off at your house. Sometimes we have information about like why they're why they're in care. Sometimes we don't. Uh we had our 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 son now. We got him at three weeks old. We even had the wrong birthday. Like <laughs> we didn't find out till later when we met his birth mom. She's like, no, it's he was born on this day. I'm like, oh, okay, that's lovely. <laughs> so sometimes you just you just don't know, um, and then the first night is typically the hardest, just because you don't know the child, you don't know their if they have a routine, like what mm-hmm. time do they go to bed we my kids go to bed at eight thirty, some kids don't go to bed till midnight, you know, or um so that first night is a little more tricky we need you need to be cautious. Uh, if the child is removed for sexual abuse, you usually don't know that until later. So you just kind of treat every child as if they have been sexually abused. You're just extra cautious with shower time and bath time and bedtime. Um, I usually stand at the doorway, depending on the age, you know, of course, at the doorway and ask them, do they want a stuffed animal? Do they, you know, want the lights on? I just let the child take the lead. And, um, you know, do you want me to sing? I do ask them. we we are a Christian family. I say, do you want me to pray for you? And some of the kids know, you know, what that means. Yeah. My mom prays with me. Okay. Let's do that. And usually they pray for mom or ever dad, you know, be with mom and dad. I want them to be okay. Are they okay? Lots of questions about, you know, where's mom? Where's dad? When can I see them? I miss them. I I miss my dog. You know, they get taken out of their home. They don't get to bring their clothes, their stuffed animals, their toys, nothing. I mean, everything is just ripped from them. Uh, And um, so, yeah, we try to make that as fun and as pleasant as possible, especially first night. There's a song I sing at night to my kids and there's a song. That we sing is, Mama loves you, this I know, from your head down to your toes, hug and tickle and hold you tight, say your prayers, and sing good night. Yes, Mama loves you, to the tune of Jesus loves me. And so for the foster kids, I was singing with Jolene. Jolene loves you, this I know. And there was a 10-year-old little boy. Actually, it was a big, big 10-year-old boy. (laughs) And he heard me singing it with his sister, and his sister did want me to tickle her. So I'm like, all right, we'll do it. It's just head and toes. So we're fine. And um, when I put him to bed, he goes, can you sing that song to me too? I'm like, yes, I can. Yeah. And I think he goes, but can you tickle me too? I'm like, oh my goodness, yes, I can. And so that was our routine, you know, every night. And he'd laugh and he'd move his feet so I couldn't get his feet, you know? And um, yeah, I just have a lot of those fond memories. And I'm hoping that they, can remember that, remember that connection, remember that there is love out there and there is safety out there for them, mm-hmm.
0: um, and that they find that. So these kids, a lot because they're pretty close in your community. Have you seen any kids that have come through your home in you know at the grocery store? That I you know six weeks later. Yeah, which which can be amazing, but can be really awkward. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like sometimes they'll run up and give you a hug and here's this mom just staring you down like who are you and I'm like oh hi I'm Jolene and you know they stayed with me for a while when they're in foster care and then sometimes the foster or sometimes the parents are like oh thank you and sometimes they just will brush you off because of course they feel probably shame or embarrassed or whatever, and, I try to encourage them just I'm so glad you have them back. How are things mm. going? Well they were they were awesome in the home and and try to stay connected as best as possible. Um, that's one thing I, I am. Um, one decision we did do right I believe is we tried to meet as many of the bio parents as possible. sometimes the county let you but we tried to meet as many of them as possible and to let them know. We're not here to steal your children. We're here for them until you can get them back. What can we do to help you get them back? Mm -hmm. And most are open to that and appreciative. In fact, I said that to one couple at a visit and the next week they brought us um, a meal from, I think it was like Dickie's, but it wasn't Dickie's barbecue. It was a different barbecue place. I can't remember. Like, Just brought us a big meal and said, Here, thank you for taking care of our girls. And here's a meal for your family, too. (laughs) That was so sweet. Not necessarily, but very sweet.
0: Right. Uh, Yeah. And yeah. Well, I think, like you said, you're looking at the right way, too, of like if the goal is reunification, like I want to support that. I mean, I want to provide a home or space for kids that are safe and you know the least traumatizing space in that interim but if the goal is to go back if there is something else that we can do to support you so that that happens that was a that's a great way of looking at it and also taking that extra step that I'm not sure everybody does
1: well I think it's I think it's an important step Uh, the county doesn't usually encourage it in our 11 years and it's been a few years since we haven't been licensed but uh, back in the day they weren't real supportive of foster and bio parents connecting and I understand because there can be some dangers we've had some close calls with some kind of dangerous uh foster or bio parents so you do need to be careful but just understand
0: boundaries and yeah I want to ask about um so earlier you had said you know they could just show up um, within a couple hours, is there a way for you to be like, okay, over the next month, we are, we can't take, like, is there like time off that you can take, or are you just open, open all the time? Does that make sense why I'm asking that? Yeah, absolutely.
1: When you become licensed, you get to decide if how many children you can care for, you know, one up to four, at least in North Dakotas, you can have four foster kids. And so you get to say, I only want babies or all I want, I only want teens. You, you know, I, I, it goes as far as, will you take a a teen that smokes? Will you take a teen that is addicted? You know, like it goes into yes. those deep. Um, however, I don't think the social workers actually look at that piece of paper. I think they're just so desperate to find a home. They just go down the list Sure. And they're, Do you have room? Please. We'll make an, in fact, we've had so many exceptions made to it. We've had over four foster kids at a time, uh, just because they're so desperate for homes. Uh, Every time they call you, you have a choice. You can say yes, or you can say no. And I am not very good at saying no. So I say, I need to speak with my husband about this and I'll get back to you. And then I call my husband and he says, no, (laughs) most of the time. And then I'm like, okay, then you have to call them back, Chad. Cause like, I just couldn't say no, knowing there's a, and, and really he wasn't being mean. He just knew my limits better than I knew my limits. Mm -hmm. I would, all the children, I would build a 20 bedroom home and buy a school bus and, you know, (laughs) pay your nannies to come help me or whatever. And he just could tell when I was drowning and needed to just stay at the level where we are, and not take kids. And um, he knew when we were ready for more. So I just had to learn to listen to him. And yeah, so once once they call, you can say yes or no. And then once the child comes, they stay with you until the social worker says they're going home, or they're going to live with a grandparent, they always try to find family. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is great. And so then sometimes kids, the shortest we've had is less than 24 hours. We had, our our first infant was less than 24 hours. (laughs) And then uh, the longest we've had was
0: over a year.
1: We had one boy from age 12 to age 17 off and on And that probably accumulated to a couple years in care, but that was really just would go back and come back. Um, Yeah. So it just really depends. Every situation is unique. Every child is unique, um, which makes it, I love, I love getting to know kids and people and personalities and hear their stories and, oh, I need to tell you a fun story. So we had a teen, and she was not from America. She was from Africa, just recently moved to America and went into foster care. Um, And so she was still getting used to living in America. In Africa, she worked very hard. She'd have to get up before school and clean the house. and, And she was so thrilled that we had a broom that had a long stick on it. I'm like, or long handle. I'm like, what do you mean? This is a broom. And she was, oh, no, no, no. And she would describe her broom was just like the, the. she'd just have to hang on to the bristle part. Yeah. I would bend over and she'd put one hand on her back and she'd bend over and she'd show me how she would sweep back and forth her house. And it was a dirt house. So that she was just sweeping the dirt. Never. Yeah. <laughs> and then she'd have to cook and then go off to school and and come back and, and help with the family. And so we all, the teens, we had five teens in the house at that time, our two girls and then three other teens. And so we had like a chore list. Well, she loved cleaning. So she ended up doing the other teen's chore list. So I'm like, no, 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 this is not how it works. You all do your part. I just love cooking and First time I got the hand mixer out, she was like, what is that? I'm like, it's a hand mixer. You plug it in and just, you don't stir with a spoon. I'm like, no, we, oh my goodness. She was just so thrilled. Just take a picture of me. You know, oh, it was, it was so awesome to hear her culture and try to let her share that with us so that we could learn about it. We learned some of her language her traditions. Um,
0: yeah, it was, it was so fun. I love that. That's a great story. That's, there's so many, I think when people think of foster care, they have a tendency to think of that negative, the trauma, the, the inconsistency, the ups and downs, like, you know, and so it's, it's always so nice to hear those, that those kids also that were there in your home got to, got to have that exposure as well. So it's not even just your family. It's all these other kids that you were also welcoming into your home. They all got that Lovely. That's lovely. I love that. So we kind of touched on this before, but I want to ask you um, if you can generalize a little bit of like, you talked about how you and your husband were just in on board. We got this, Mm -hmm. but with your two daughters, there's, you know, that's a lot to ask of a kid to understand what this looks like and how this will be a kind of an inconsistent up and down world. How did they respond and how, how did they feel? Uh, It depended
1: on the moment. Mm Mm-hmm usually we're excited to get new foster kids. And honestly, we had really good foster kids. We didn't have the horror stories of, you know, holes in the walls and them urinating on the floors. Mm -hmm. Um, some of our friends have had those experiences, but we, we were pretty fortunate. Um, so the girls weren't like beat up. They weren't, cussed at by foster kids um it it was it was okay it was it's pretty healthy that being said when the children would leave the girls were losing their friends you know Mm -hmm. they're apart when some of them you know they acted like brothers and sisters and they even called each other brothers and sisters you know we let the foster kids decide what they wanted to call everyone and um it 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 was very hard. The teens, because my girls were teens when we had teens. And so to see how the state had control over them, it seemed like even more than we did, that was very hard on my girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were times when we would we would take a break for a while and make sure, you know, everybody in the family's mental health was okay. And then we'd step back into it um, with the adoption of our three boys. Oh, so we, we haven't talked about this yet. Yeah, no, <laughs> we've got to
0: get to that part. <laughs> yeah.
1: We got Aaron, he was three weeks old and we had adopted him a couple of years later. He was a little over two. And then we got his half brothers from the hospital. they were born so they're they're each three years apart so right now they're nine seven and six um when we when the chance to adopt them came up we did visit with the girls it wasn't the girls' decision i mean ultimately was chad and ours or chad and mine but we did want them to be included and figure out what where's where's their mind and they absolutely wanted to adopt them great Um, of course that changed as they became like two and three and four-year-olds and they were in their space, you know? <laughs> Why did we adopt these? Oh, whatever. You love them. And, and of course, they, they do love them. Um,
0: you were talking about um, how the boys came into your home and you had said um, you were there when the other two were born.
1: Well, not during the actual delivery, well, but, but from the hospital. Yep, yeah, we got to meet them. Um, Marcus we got to be there when he, you know, like when the nurse comes in and um, goes through all the discharge papers and stuff, I was able to be there with that. And Mm -hmm. for Jacob, the youngest one, we had already built a relationship with their um, birth mom. And I mean, so we talked through her whole pregnancy and, um, she, you know, invited me up to the hospital to meet him. And so I got to hold him when he was just a day old and, um, get to you know, pray with her and encourage her and help her. Um, cause she knew she was not going to be able to take him home and yeah. And then she did have another little girl And we, I was able to go to hospital and meet her too. And she was able to take her home and, you know, we supported her in that. We're like, whatever you need to, you know, any help you need to um, keep your baby. Uh, Unfortunately, after a few weeks, she was put into care. So we did care for their little sister for uh, a little over a year and then their birth mom got her back. And so that was a success story, uh, we had already adopted the boys at that time. So uh, she could not get, like, she can't get them back. <laughs> but we we do stay connected. We hang out, uh, send pictures. Um, you know, she's invited to all their sports stuff and school stuff. And uh, we kind of, not quite co-parenting, but we, they're, she's involved in their lives. And they get to see their other siblings, too.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's beautiful. And we talked about this a little bit too. So I come obviously more through the adoption community, and there is quite a split in the adoption community of open versus closed adoptions there are right. people who are very hardcore, like it's just too rough to have an open adoption. Go the closed route. You don't want to ever lose that kid. You don't ever want to have <laughs> crazy ex family members or whatever. And yeah. I think that there's so much beauty also in what you're doing. and I think, I would hope more people would be open minded to it or at least open to the thought of it because I think that really can be. And like you said, he your boys have other half siblings or full siblings that they should have the ability to build relationships with. And that I think is beautiful. And it's I'm assuming it's not easy all the time, but right. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but worth but I mean what real family is easy. Right. I mean even our yeah just yep. people were stuck with it. <laughs> so, yeah, yep. I think that, and, that's great.
1: Yep. And actually North Dakota, it's closed adoption. They do not have open adoption in North
0: Dakota. They
1: don't. Okay. So, And I was not aware of that until after we adopted boys. And I had told their birth mom and said, yeah, you can, you know, as long as you are healthy and on a good path, we will, you know, birthday parties and meet at the park and, because I thought we had an open adoption and not until later I found out. But we still have an open adoption. Just not legally. We don't.
0: Yeah. The, the mom doesn't, the bio mom doesn't have a legal precedent to say, I have to see my, gotcha. Correct. That makes sense. And I think that's part of why I think it's so beautiful that you're willing to do that. And I also really appreciate you hearing hearing you say, there are boundaries in place too. Like there yeah. are strategically appropriate boundaries for your children, so that it's not just a. I mean, you're going to expose them to anything or anything. It's the right. when the rights, everything is going well, then that should be appropriate.
1: Yes, like they have not met their bio dads. Sure, because now is not a good time for that. But sure. we are in the makings of it, meaning getting. Their contact information, and I'm kind of doing some research about how to make that connection, how to walk the boys through that, the ups and the downs, because it's traumatic. It's traumatic, and any adoption means that their birth parents either didn't want them or was not capable of caring for them, and mm-hmm. that is traumatic. I follow some Facebook pages um, that are very hard to be in, but it's good for me to hear they are adult, adults who have been adopted mm-hmm. and hear their trauma through their life. And I'm trying to learn from them so I don't replicate that trauma as much in our boys' lives. Uh, but it's there, the adult adoption trauma... Um, is is very real and I think sometimes we go into adoption with this all unicorns and butterflies and rainbows and it's not and not to say it can't be I mean I know I have my friend is adopted and she's that was the best thing ever I'm so thankful I'm adopted and she has a really good experience but that's not everybody's.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this a lot. And I apologize if, it's, if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but our son, when he came home, he was four and he acclimated quite quickly. And he's just one of those kids that has just a, just a sunny disposition life. He's just a positive kid and so easygoing. And he just, if you, if, when you meet him and see him, you would think there's like, this worked well and it's perfect. And as a family, yeah. we've really, Cohesively made this my two olders are great. And you know, it's like it yeah. seems like from the outset all looks great. And I just keep I have that realistic view of sure, at the moment it's good, but that doesn't mean two years, 10 years, 20 years from now, he's going to have to go through a lot in processing what it meant to leave a foreign country yeah. to become, you know, come here with us and and to join our family. And I want to be able to help him through that when that comes, but at some point too, that might not be me who can help him through that. That might be something he has to process on his own or may need outside, um, support in that. And I think it's just naive to think, well, it's good. And it's always going to be good. And, you know, so I think it's important, like you said, to keep an open mind to, our best to ensure that we're not causing more trauma or to give them the support that they need. And I think it's hard for kids because they're not necessarily exhibiting that stuff. Like they, we don't even know what, you know, some things happen. Um, the best example I can give of that is we were driving, this literally happened about three, four weeks ago. And my son had made a comment about, we were talking about what we we're going to make for dinner that night. And he's like, I I'm happy that I eat so much. And he was basically, and then he brought up, in India, he only had rice. Like there, you know, like he was talking about this memory or this feeling that his friends didn't have enough food. And so he's still thinking through and processing that like, we eat whenever we want, whatever we want. And that was not true of his, of his world, but it's like, he was young enough that he didn't quite get it. So it's like, he didn't realize what he was kind of saying as well. So it was like that weird, those pieces are going to continually come up for him and how we help him process through that. And yeah it's hard that's the adoptive piece are you like I can't you can't see every piece of it but you do your best to right right and bottom line foster
1: or or even our bio children they they want to be heard mm-hmm. listen without speaking right away back our opinions or our thoughts or our you know I know the right way or I, like they just want to be heard, and um that's something maybe that has been a positive thing about now raising teens and having foster teens and foster kids is we've chad and I are learning how to listen
0: mm.
1: No, just to sit and let them let them talk you know <laughs> I'll, you know I, I I love talking with teens, and I, I kind of wish they would talk between like four and six o'clock in the evening, but <laughs> that doesn't always happen. So, you know, it's a lot of 1030, you start your conversation and it goes until 12, one in the morning, but oh my goodness, is it ever worth it? Yeah.
0: So, so worth it. That's a, that's a really great piece of advice, which sounds so simple, but is not what we do. And also I think as adults, sometimes not that we're fearful to listen, but it doesn't hurt us to listen to opposing views or thoughts and opinions. And that I think is something even societally like we should be okay with listening to what other people think, whether we agree with it or not. And that's, that's huge. People need to feel heard and need to feel validated. Yeah.
1: One thought I had, before or as a foster parent was all oh, these kids coming into my home, they're just gonna love it and they're gonna be so thankful that we're taking care of them. They're gonna love our home and um we have lots of toys and we have a playground and you know the teens are just gonna love that blah, blah, blah. No, like we're not all that in a bag of chips. I don't know the phrase. That's not the right phrase. But yeah, you know, no, like right. not all that. <laughs> you know they they are thankful but they still have they're in your home as a foster child because something bad or many things bad have happened to them and we daily reminder of that
0: right and i'm assuming most kids want normalcy or even if normalcy was traumatic Mm-hmm. there's still a desire to be back in a space that feels the most at home in some respects. And I always think of it this way with re we, um, we talk a lot in our home, our friends are not, our kids are not our best friends. And so, you know, we are very strategic about our boundaries and like yeah. wanting to create structures for our kids that make them feel safe and make them feel like they can independently do things, but that doesn't mean they love it. They don't love the rules that we place in the house, but <laughs> Our yeah. phrase in our house is every rule in our house is to keep you safe and healthy. Like there is no reason there's no other reason we have rules but to keep you safe and healthy. And but yeah. kids don't get that. <laughs>
1: they don't nope, love that. no, nope, nope. <laughs> And usually a foster kid comes in that has not had rules. Usually mm, yep, not had yep. structure. Like um, we had this one kid came home and I said, Okay, let me look through your backpack. And he said, Why? So, well, we got to see if you have homework or if you did anything during the day. And it was so foreign to him because his family didn't go through his backpack. I don't yeah. know what all his papers that they just ended up, I don't know. Um, and so he got to learn that, okay, Jolene is going to sit down and study spelling with me. He didn't always like it, but, you know, um, actually, he did usually like it. He thought it was pretty fun. Um, eating at a kitchen table. That's the only place, and I know Mm -hmm. some families don't, but we eat at a kitchen table. That was foreign to some of them. Yeah. The fact that um we had a a 12-year-old come to our home, he didn't own a toothbrush.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, you had your own toothbrush and your own toothpaste. Like we had another teenage boy, we took him. Shopping for clothes, and he had never been shopping for clothes. His dad would go and just get clothes and bring it home, and that's just what he had to wear. Like some of these situations or experiences that these children are having with us, it's their firsts. Like they've just never rented a bike before, they never had a chance to ride a bike, and now ride a bike and go around the block with us, you know. Um, which (laughs) sometimes makes it harder to let them go because you know they're going back into the home where they don't have a bike and they aren't going to sit at a kitchen table so part of me is like are we causing more trauma on these kids because now they're I don't know like I'm sure we're not
0: I don't know no that's a hard thing because you are thinking about is it causing them to look in a different way and then they're going to go home and resent but then they don't have those things and you know, then it becomes a, a problematic, I think it's appropriate thing to think through. I don't know the answer. And that now that's <laughs> going to be above my pay grade.
1: <laughs> and actually researching that there's not a lot of people that talk about that point, but
0: yeah, I don't know. That is something to think about though. And in the, in what that mindset does for kids, you know, I think we're trying to put our best foot forward, but that could also cause, you never know. That'd be interesting to research more. You have become quite an advocate for the foster care community and you've done a lot of research yourself and have a lot of information that you like kind of love to share out and things like that. Yeah. Um, Well, and, and
1: now, so we are foster parents for 11 years, probably the last two years of being licensed. We, I really wanted to stay, but I knew we shouldn't probably stay licensed and Chad, of course, is like, we need to stop. Uh, But it didn't make sense in my mind. Why would God have us stop taking care of his children? Like that did sense in my brain. Until my pastor gave me this red manual called um, CompaCare, C-O-M-P-A-C-A-R-E, CompaCare. And he goes, you need to read this manual and see if it's a ministry you want to lead. And so I read it. And by like page three or four, I was already bawling. Because this is exactly what foster families need. It's a wraparound ministry where, um, you know, you get a call, you get a kid. That foster parent calls me and says, all right, I'm getting a two-year-old at five o'clock today. I'm at work until four. I don't have time to go get blah, blah, blah. So then I would get my volunteers to go and get a car seat and get this and get that, get a meal and bring it to that home so that that first night that the family has that kid, they can just focus on caring for that kid. They don't need to take them out to the store. They don't need to worry about making supper. They can just focus on that child. And we set up some goals for 30, 60, 90 days as far as how can we help them. You know, sometimes maybe Tuesday nights, their son has t-ball and their daughter has basketball. And now this foster kid has soccer. Well, they can't be three places at once. So maybe we'll set up a volunteer to drive one of their bio kids to their sport or the foster kid to sport. Um, Sometimes children come into care with lice. That is never fun.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And help pick lice out or um, give the parents... Uh, just an evening break, you know, we take the kids out to the park for a couple hours or something. It's a wraparound program because we want the child to stay in one foster home, which means that family has to be successful with that child. As soon as that family is so frustrated, they're not getting their needs met from the county because the county is just overworked and stressed, then foster families quit 50 yeah. of foster families in the u.s only last one year 50 oh. yeah and financially it costs a lot of money to to get a foster parent you know with our state's money it costs money and um so COMPACARE care is there so hopefully these families will stay in it long term and be healthy and these kids can have a good experience in these foster homes.
0: That's what we're doing now. Yeah. So, is that a regional ministry or is that a national ministry? It's a national, it's headquartered in okay. the
1: um, Missouri area. And we MINA has the first compa care in North Dakota. There's some in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they call it different things. Like COMPACARE is like the actual ministry, but once you take it over, you can call it whatever you want. So Sure. Yeah, and it is a church-led ministry, um, and the goal is that you're like, so I go to Journey Church. So we have foster families in our church. We take care of our foster families,
0: mm-hmm. and each
1: person needs to take care of their own foster families. And then, of course, there's foster families that are going to church, so then we reach out and help them too. Yeah. yeah. And then the goal is when the child goes home, then we can come alongside the bio parents to try to keep, you know, the child home and in a safe situation and and support them too.
0: Yeah. I love that. We have, um, I know in our community, there is a foster care group called real, um, real hope. And they are a ministry that they create uh, basically mini video clips of the kids. Like it's, almost like, not like a dating app, but kind of in the sense of like, they create these video clips of the kids and who they are and all that kind of stuff to also help with some of that with foster and adoption and things like that. And so I've seen that side of the ministry. So this is a whole other side of the ministry that I have not seen that I think is really unique and, um, obviously helpful. Like I, in my head, like why hadn't I thought that those things would have existed? Like that is, and in the adoption world, we have communities that we, you know, um, groups that you could join yep. and things like that. And there's some of that um, care and support, but I've not seen it from this way. And I love, I love yeah. that. That's great. Yep. And you're Honestly, enjoying doing it. Yeah, I am.
1: I, I just wish there were more hours in the day, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's so many needs out there. Well, so for many. sure. And now our County um, has accepted our ministry. And so we're working hand in hand. So now not only are we getting foster care, Needs We're getting county needs and their needs are huge. Like it's, it's just, it's just so overwhelming the needs that are out there. And I don't, I think everybody, not everybody's going to be a foster parent. And I don't mm-hmm. think everyone should be a foster parent. However, everybody can do something. Just yeah. do one thing, find one foster family and say, I'm going to help you this week what can I do? And usually foster parents say, "Oh, I got it, I got it, I got it." You know, they don't want to ask for help pretty common yeah. Or I think most people, but especially foster parents, like, "Oh no, no, we decided to do this. It's our fault." No. <laughs> um, so you kind of have to say, "No, I am going to help you this week." And if you don't give me a need, I'm just going to do something for you. So you might as well give me. So I can, can do that, but um, yeah. So we, we do help the county if the social worker has the needs. We try to reach out to, um, to them. And it is a, a great way for someone who maybe they like to cook, mm-hmm. bring a meal over there. Maybe they hate cooking, but they can mow a yard. You know, if you have children in your home, it's hard to sneak away and mow <laughs> a yard, which reminds me one time I had a baby girl on my back, you know, carrying baby wearing her. And then I had a little playpen for the two-year-old, and then the three and four-year-old were riding their bikes, and I'm mowing the yard. And this teenager rode his bike by, and all of a sudden he turned around, came back, and he goes, "Can I help you?" And I'm
0: like, what? <laughs> you "Sure can help." <laughs> and he mowed my yard. Oh, that's so sweet
1: sweetest thing ever. And I was just able to go and play with the kids. And you know, I could get over my shoulder, like, oh, are they running the street? Are they, are they chasing me? You know, I don't want them by the lawnmower, you know. Um, I could just go and enjoy the kids and this young man mowed my
0: yard. You know, what a blessing. And yeah. blessing to people. It just be something little. I love that. I, I'm i really glad that you shared about that. I'll put that in our show notes, too, that we so people can find, and maybe I'll look for some of the regional, like you said, that's based in Missouri, and then there should be regional ones within Minnesota and, and other places, and hopefully other people can find within their region where they're listening. I think that's just a fantastic organization that could, like you said, um, sometimes people feel drained, especially now in our com- economy, giving more money. So being able to do something as simple as, like you said, make a meal or- yeah you know, offer support in a different way. Like, Hey, if my kid is carpooling, if we knew of a family that was doing that and they're involved in an activity that we're involved, I mean, you know, that's so easy to do just to go that extra step to offer rides. And yeah, you're right. There's so many ways we can support each other. We have a
1: family in our church now that has three, three kids, um, 18 months and younger, I believe, or 24 months. And just, so what we do is, when she lets us, because sometimes, you know, she sneaks in without telling us. We meet her at her vehicle and help carry in a car seat or put the other kids in the stroller and help her get to the seats. And if one is crying, you know, I'll go and stand with that baby in the back while she's caring for the other so that she can still go to church. You know, I remember having a three, two, and one-year-old or two, one, and infant and trying to even get through the church doors. I'm like, why am I even coming? What I'm just... out in the foyer with these kids and you know it was kind of hard to go and do anything. Yeah. And there was the one time I had three men in our church come and each take one of my children and get their coats on and and get them out to the vehicle. And I'm like, good job dads. You know, I'm seeing this mama in need. And they just all came in, oh there's there's some good people out there. And
0: yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you made a comment earlier that um, piqued my interest of, you said, you know, I think in a perfect world, like, oh, everybody should, I think adoption parents, it's like, if everybody took one adopted kid, there wouldn't be, you know, or everybody would foster, but you kind of hinted at it like, but not everybody should, like, you know, there's going to be homes that that's not appropriate for. What do you think is the biggest indicator that this might be a good fit for you? Or what are things you would be like? I would hope families that foster would have these qualities or these expectations.
1: Well, you need the space. I mean, just legit. Of, you need to have a bedroom open for them. And they can share bedrooms with your bio children. Uh, the age There's age rules and stuff. So you have to figure out what your state does with that. Um, I think you have to have a love for children. You have to have a willingness to be uncomfortable and be okay with that. Uh, a willingness to be okay with change and not being in control (laughs) oh
0: Oh, that's a hard one (laughs) maybe just pretend I didn't say that one (laughs) but so true though I met that's so true there's so many things you cannot control you don't but just if you
1: just think they're they're children if you have love. If you have the capacity to care, if you are willing to learn about trauma, do some trainings, meet a, who have gone through the system, talk to them, say, what would you wish your foster parents would have done differently? Or what did they do good? Or, you know, be willing to learn. Man, there's so many people that could be foster parents Mm -hmm. and they're The major thing is the one thing that most people say is, Oh, I would get too attached. Well, yes, you will. (laughs) Like, that's the point. Honestly, the point is to get attached to these kids and teach them what healthy attachment is. That's all. And then you let them go. And it hurts like really bad. But is it worth it? Absolutely. A thousand, it's worth it knowing that those kids had a chance to be safe had a chance holy smokes i'm going to cry it's okay <laughs> um had a chance to have clean clothes on that don't have cigarettes from had a chance to to take a warm shower, had a chance to have a full belly for more than just one meal, you know, the whole day they had a full belly. And I'm being dramatic maybe because not every situation is like this, but we have had each of those situations in our home. Mm -hmm. So it's worth it. You know, when we, Chad and I first were foster parents, we actually started out as respite care, which means we just took, like, we kind of babysat for, like, a weekend over there for foster families to give them a break. And after we did that for a while, we're like, okay, we can do this. Like, this is a right fit for us. So don't be afraid to get licensed, go through the process, go through the fingerprints and all the stuff, and, and start out as respite. Um, the foster families need respite homes so badly, so badly. So please do that. And we also did emergency care, which means uh, they get a child at three in the morning and they can't reach any foster homes that have open bed, then we would take that kid. And it's usually just a couple days, you know, yeah. any can do anything for a couple days. days. Um, so, I mean, don't be afraid that you have to all of a sudden have three foster kids and you have to buy a, a mini van or a big, huge 13-passenger van. And you like, you can do little. You can care mm-hmm. for. And. When it doesn't work for your family anymore, you can stop. Like, it doesn't have to be a forever thing. Um, Reach out to other foster families. They can, I don't know, put my information on there. They can message me and we can visit. Uh, I I love talking about it. And, yeah, there's lots of kids out there. There's over 400,000 foster kids in the United States on average. There's there's over 100,000 kids waiting to be adopted through foster care. It's crazy that are just waiting for a home forever home.
0: So yeah. Yeah. The needs are out so, there. I appreciate your ability to talk about it in realistic views too, and not sugarcoating it to make it seem like the, this is the best thing to do in the whole world, but to have a realistic view of what that means for you, what it meant for your marriage, what it meant for your children What it meant for you know day in day out life. I think that's really important to hear somebody talk from an authentic standpoint and and be able to support that community in such an amazing way and to look at it from so many different ways as well. Like so, you've done it um, specific ways where you've like you said between respite, emergency care, full care, and then now on the backside of being a, a surrounding care. I think that's amazing. So you. Thank you did a wonderful job. I really appreciate you sharing. It was so great. This was fun. Yeah. It's always yeah. fun. I'm always like, hey, what's next time we're meeting? Like, Let's do it again. <laughs> if you have and, me
1: in this summer, right?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, probably. <laughs> I'll bring the equipment. We'll set it up. <laughs> Anything you want to leave us with or any other information you wanted to share? Um, I just think as individual people
1: reach out, find someone. You know, even if it's not a foster parent, there are people in your community that are in need. Mm. You know, go and be a helping hand, uh, whether through your church or where you know, contact a school, contact your social services. Um, there's c- contact your homeless shelter, uh, food pantry, something, you know. Um, don't don't waste, don't waste
0: today yeah. or tomorrow. Okay. So yeah. I love that. That's great. All right. Well, thanks again. It was was lovely seeing you and talking to you again. (laughs) I'll see you this summer. Yep. Bye. Bye, Jolene. Isn't it amazing to hear somebody's story when they're so passionate? And I don't think there's a better word to describe how Jolene and her family have been about the foster care system. Thank you for using your passions to support your community. And thank you for taking the time to come and share with us. There was so much information that we wanted to give to you, the listener. So make sure if you have time, check out our show notes. There are links in there of ways that you can find out more and specifically ways that you can support your own community for the foster care system. And as always, I'm just so grateful that you take the time to listen to this podcast and I will see you guys next week. Thanks.